the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Like an opening act, God uses Elihu to set the stage for his appearance in the book of Job. As we come to chapter 37, the glory cloud approaches. Elihu begins to step back. One of the jobs of an opening act is to get the audience ready for the main events. Elihu does not disappoint. And as he comes to the end of his discourse here in chapter 37, he sets the stage for God, who is going to appear in just a moment. The glory cloud approaches is the title of our message. We catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner here in Job chapter 37. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Then Elihu begins to ask questions, verse 15, which the Lord is going to pick up in a major way beginning in the next chapter. Elihu says, Job, you need some things to consider. Were you present when God established all of his works and called the clouds to shine? Do you understand how he balances the clouds? Now, what I'm going to say sounds a little medieval to some of us because we think... Clouds stay in the sky because of the weight of the air. And we think we understand all these things. Well, we understand nothing. The Lord says the clouds stay in the air because I keep them there. Now, granted, he uses various processes to do this, and he gives us grace to understand some of these things, but he says also, He asked, do you understand my wondrous works? I'm perfect in knowledge. Do you understand the sun, how your garments are warmed? Verse 17. When I send the south wind, do you understand? You know, really, modern science is the primitive view, my friends. It is the irrational view. Why do we spend so much time and money studying these things that have no ultimate explanation but time plus chance? You see, the biblical view is God's hand is in all of these things. And that's why we should be motivated to study them for one purpose. Not so that we think that once we think we understand the processes, we are done. But even in understanding a little bit of the processes, we must study so that we can worship God for his glory and his power. What about the sky, Job, verse 18? God spread it out. It's like a molten looking glass. It's like a mirror. Job, did you do this with God? He spoke it, and he rolled out the sky as a scroll. I want to tell you something about Elihu. As wonderful and as godly as a man he was, his humility here was unbelievable in verses 19 and 20. Remember, he's been correcting Job for a few chapters, and he sees this glory cloud approaching I don't know what was visibly present, but what I think was going on here is that it was cold. 
And he mixed that together with lightning and thunder, and it was like there was a whole cycle of weather going on. There may have been snow and ice. All of this in a whirlwind of God's majesty. And Elihu, as he comes down to the end, and this is now upon him, he looks back to Job, and I think he is saying, Job, tell us what we now need to say to God. He is approaching us. Now he has been rebuking Job and correcting him, but Elihu has not forgotten Job is the righteous man here. Job is the wise man here. Now understand, Job looks pretty terrible at this point. We haven't mentioned Job in terms of his suffering for a couple of weeks, but he looks terrible. This has been going on for a while now. He's bloody. He has scraped his skin, his skin and it is uh, his skin, and it is nasty looking. His hair is matted down. Whatever, whatever clothes he has on are torn and dirty, full of ashes. And Elihu looks at this battered man, and he says, Job, now teach us what to say to God. I don't know what to say. Darkness has come upon us. Oh, there's a brilliant light, but there is also darkness. I ask you, how can there be both light and darkness? At the same time, only by God's glory, my friends. Then Elihu, notice verse 20, and pay attention to this. It's almost like he is whispering at this point. Are you going to tell him I've been talking? Shall it be told to him that I speak? Elihu has been saying some wise things, but it's always dangerous even to speak the truth about God. James 3.1, be careful that many are not teachers. It is always dangerous, and we have lost a sense of this in our day and age. We have lost it completely. Men think they can alter the truth of God, turn it into a platform to tear their pretty little stories. A lie who hit the nail on the head here. And it is just as applicable in the New Testament. We need to be careful with the Word of God. Is someone going to tell God I've been talking? Job, are you going to tell him? Job, you tell us what we are to say to him. You are the godly man. He says, if a man speaks, surely he will be swallowed up. Boy, what humility. By the way, you think, man, that's not the way we're clearly supposed to think, is it? Well, look in Hebrews 10. You say, I thought we were God's children. Is that how we're really supposed to think? Yes, we are. But I thought we were to have confidence. Yes, we do. Do we have assurance of salvation? Of course we do. But that doesn't mean that we're not to be reverent, especially now that God has drawn near to us. Verse 28 of Hebrews 10. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much worse or sore punishment suppose we shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite or iniquity under the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. You see, it's a fearful thing to, hand, to fall into the hands of the living God. So in one sense, think of it like this. The glory cloud drew near. Elihu, Job, the three friends, and whoever else was there. 
and we live in that cloud all the time. It just came upon them. We live in it all the time. Now, granted, it's not visible yet to our eyes, but remember, we have been drawn near through the blood of Christ, and God is a consuming fire, but he loves us, and he is our Father, and he is holy, holy, holy. And yet, he lives near to us. He says, I will walk with them, and I will dwell with them. Second Corinthians 6.16, I will be your God, and you will be my people. So it's not like as we do it in most American churches today. Hey, come on in and strum a guitar, beat on some drums. Oh, it feels so good. Show off a tattoo, have a cup of coffee, preach a nice little sermon that makes everyone feel good. Go home and do what you want to do with the rest of the day. No, I hope this is us in this church. We live with God. He's drawn near to us. He he walks with us. He talks with us. He has given us his word. And we need a lot more of Elihu's spirit here. Job, don't tell him that I've been talking. Don't tell him I don't want to be swallowed up by his majesty. Now, granted, that doesn't mean we can't talk. And it doesn't mean we can't teach. If God has made you a father, you're supposed to teach. If God has placed you in positions of an elder or a pastor, you're supposed to teach and preach as you have opportunity. But we are to do these things with intense reverence. Well, it, it, that doesn't mean stiffness. It doesn't mean being unapproachable. It doesn't mean to get out a whip and beat everybody. Reverence means a sense of real awe. A carefulness, knowing that we have dealings with the holy God. Verses 19 and 20. Elihu was truly a messenger of God. And here he is at the last, very much like John on Patmos, who had been with Jesus and reclined on his bosom in the upper room. But when he saw him in his glory, what did he do? He fell at his feet like a dead man. Isaiah was a godly man and a prophet. And when he saw a manifestation of God's glory, he just said, Woe is me. Elihu was a godly man. And he just says, Job, I don't care if you look, that you look like you do and have been through a garbage disposal. Teach us and don't tell him that I've been talking And I don't think it's because he's embarrassed by anything he said at one level. But at another level, it's like, I've seen him a little bit. I've seen these manifestations of his glory, the cold, the heat, the snow, the ice, the rain, the lightning, the thunder, the light, the darkness. And I am fearful. The glory cloud in verse 21 through 24 is now right on them. He said, it is so bright I can't see. He says, the bright light is in the clouds, but the light is snuffed out, and I can't see. This is where it becomes very staccato. Fair weather out of the south with God, his terrible majesty, touching almighty. We cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and judgment. So on the one hand, Elihu here is confronted as Job and his friends are with God's majesty. And all they can say is, 
This is just unsearchable. We can't find him out. He is powerful. He is just. But you see, I love the encouragement at the end of verse 23. He will not afflict. The verb means oppressed, pressed down too hard. Now this is where God's nearness is so sweet in the Lord Jesus because he is high and lofty and inhabits eternity. And I know this is hard because we're here living in Silicon Valley that in 1950 only had a population of 526,000 people and a major part of it was farmlands. And now the population is approximately 3 million. Everyone is hustling and bustling and doing their thing. There are a number of people here, of course, who identify as Christians. But this is a business center, a technology center. It is a retail and service-oriented place. And it is easy for us to just get consumed with everything that's going on around us. So when we hear of God being high and holy and describe him as a, as a lie who does, it's like, man, this makes me so uncomfortable. It makes me very uncomfortable. And yet it says... He will not afflict. He remembers that we are but man dust. He remembers Psalm 103. He knows our frame. And that, of course, is why he sent Jesus to be our righteousness and to cleanse us so that now, when we think of drawing near to the glory of God in his throne of grace, who do we see? We see Jesus. My righteousness, my peace with God. He is my advocate, advocate with the Father. We see that in 1 John 2, 2. I can draw near to the Holy One even though I'm nothing and sinful and weak and I've done so much to please Him, displease Him. And He says, just draw near to me and I will forgive all your sins. I will blot them out in my boundless grace. And I'll tell you what, I'm also rejoicing over you with singing. And I take pleasure in those who fear me. Why would God take pleasure? I don't know. It's just pure grace and mercy. So we should never say, God is too high. God is too holy. There's no hope for me. We ought to say, God is too high. God is too holy. I need to run to Jesus because when I run to Him and I make my prayer to God in His name, I don't trust my own goodness, but I trust in the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have every confidence. God is not going to put more on us than we can bear. Now, think, what is a great promise? What a great promise this is. So all the things going on in the world, the droughts, the cold, the cold winters in parts of the country, the floods, the tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes erupting. And then we look at the human sector, jobs and economy, babies killed in the mother's womb, sodomy and transsexualism in the Supreme Court actually willing to listen to cases defending sodomite marriage. I mean, the very thought is not just disgusting. It is unbelievably ridiculous. And we see all these things, and it's easy to become burdened and oppressed with all of this. What will the future be like for my children? Well, we need to remember God is high and holy and majestic, and he controls the hurricanes and the tsunamis and the snowstorms and the thunder and the floods, so he will certainly uphold me if he upholds the clouds 
He will uphold me. Every time you see a cloud, train yourself to think God upholds the clouds. He'll uphold me. Every time you see lightning, think God gives the light. He'll give light to me. Every time you see rain and water, think God will water me. He will strengthen me. He knows my frame, that I am very weak. And he concludes in verse 24, Therefore men fear him, and he respecteth not any that are wise of heart. It is very important when we draw near to God to be reverent, isn't it? We see this in Hebrews 12, 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. That's what we come to. As God's people, especially when we worship the Lord, we come into an innumerable company of angels. Now continuing in our text, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, what are we supposed to do with these blessings? That we draw near to God through the sacrifice, that we are able to draw near to the holy, the just God, and our crucified, risen Savior. Verse 25, boy, the Bible here is so uniform and consistent in this same theme. See that you do not refuse him that speaketh. You see, this is the Bible's constant message. When you see glory, listen. When you're drawing near to God, listen. Because it is a speaking God. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, how much more may we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Meaning since we've drawn near to the very throne of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives us his word, and Jesus comes and preaches to us through the indwelling spirit, and the men he raises up, Don't turn away from him who speaks. Listen. In the Old Testament at Sinai, we hear God's voice shook the earth. But now yet, once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. He says, I'm shaking everything. I'm gathering everything into one under Christ, the head, my son, and your head. Verse 27. And this, this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken and those things that are made, that those things cannot be shaken, may remain. Therefore, we receive a kingdom, God's rule, God's government, God's nearness, God's covenant, God's love, God's truth, which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. That is what we need. Wherefore, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire You know that which Elihu and Job and the three friends saw that day when the whirlwind was approaching? We get to draw near to that all the time. And he is near to us. And the kind of trembling thing to me is he is near to me by covenant even when I don't necessarily want him near. That's why Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him because it's not just that he dwells with us when we want him to. It is when we are sinning, and we just kind of like to do our own thing. But God keeps his covenant even when we don't. So what does Hebrews say? 
We're receiving this kingdom of nearness and drawing near to God, and it is filled with unspeakable blessings that ought to comfort our hearts and encourage us. And even as we think of going to work in the morning, it should just thrill us that we get to serve the great God who has drawn near to us in His Son. But He says, be careful. You know, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis said, and I don't advocate everything that he says, but he has some real zingers, such as at the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he says, he is not a tame lion. Be very careful. Because the measures of God, his love for us, his covenant, his mercy, his willingness to forgive us, be careful. Because what do we need? We need to get on our face and thank the Lord. And we, of course, need his grace. I need God's kindness, and so do you. So we can serve him acceptably. And notice what? With giddiness and guitars? No, with reverence. And godly fear. The two things that Christianity is almost completely devoid of. A reverence and an awe of God. A humility before him. Not a servile humility. Not an, oh no, lightning is about to strike me down. But a joyful awe awe at his mercy. We need to reverence and need a godly fear. To fear God is to love him. To be in awe of him. So the closer he is to us, the more we delight in him at one level. And the more we ask him, Lord, forgive me and help me at another level. Why? So that we can serve him. So who is he? He hasn't changed. He is still a consuming fire. And by the way, just on a practical point, forget the world because the world can't understand this. It doesn't mean anything to them, but within the church... We get a hold of this idea again of the covenant and of the holy God's nearness to us through a son. It's going to produce those two very things in us. It produces reverence and an awe before the word. It's not a reverence of the principle that's coming to discipline me. You know, my dad always taught me, you get spanked at school and you'll get spanked at home. And he did. And it scared me to death. And I think, though, that I did get spanked twice at school. One day, I came home after the school principal spanked me. My dad asked, how was the day? I lied. And I said everything was fine. Because I certainly didn't want to get another spanking. But, of course, he already knew. And whack went the belt on my behind. It's not that kind of fear, guys. It's more the kind of fear when the husband's standing here. And he's next to the preacher, and the door opens, and the bride walks in. And he sees her standing there for the first time, and she's beautiful. I still remember that moment from 47 years ago. You suddenly realize she loves me, and she is so beautiful. I can't believe this is happening to me. This is the kind of reverence. I can't believe this God loves me. I can't believe he has mercy on me, that he cares for me. I can't believe that he would want to walk and talk with me and be my God and make me his son or his daughter. I can't believe it. It's too incredible for words. That's the kind of reverence that we need as we read scripture and even more as we trust God's promises and as we hope in his mercy. You know, I love Elihu. I'm going to be sorry to leave him. 
Of course, we move to God's response next week. But don't ever forget this. Here is this young man. And I'm sure this is going to be how we will be when we get to heaven. We've talked a lot about God on earth and we've enjoyed his blessings. But in our flesh, we are going to see him. And that's the greatest blessing of all, brothers and sisters. So let that shape what you're thinking about this week. And how you live and what you look at. God, the consuming fire, dwells with me now. But I have a destiny in Christ with him forever. And I need his grace. God, give me grace. God, you are so precious that you call me your inheritance. I'm your inheritance and you're mine. You are my portion. Oh, I need the grace that Elihu had as wise as he was. Job, please don't tell God I've been talking. Just let me behold his glory and worship him. Is that you? Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.